Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday, talking some USC football with uscfootball.com's very own beat writer and columnist, Dan Weber, joining the show today. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. All of our contact information is there. You can leave a voicemail. We love to hear from you. We'll play one of your voicemails today, and lots of email questions have come in. We'll try to get to each and every one of those and want to talk to Dan about the aftermath of the Rose Bowl, looking forward, expectations for next season, the national championship game, and all of that. Uh, So let's welcome in Dan Weber. What is up, Dan? How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Yep. This is kind of fun to, you know, come back after the Rose Bowl and see what's going on. A lot going on. And, uh, you know, of course. Well, I remember there used to be one Way too early, top 25. ESPN would do it last few years. Who didn't do one this year? <laughs> Everybody's got a way too early top 25. It's really, I mean, it's interesting to follow them. And, you know, you somebody's got USC number one. You know, somebody's got them number five. Two and three is where they end up mostly. But you think, wow, uh, that's uh, interesting. You know, that's kind of good neighborhood to be in and uh and I I, I like the challenge that, that that's going to give you know these USC kids uh, in the off season I think it's great but it's different and for those who say oh people don't like USC or people it sure looks like I'll give Stuart Mandel credit he said people want to get on that USC bandwagon they love USC and it's kind of showing that people are saying you know, look at Sam Darnold, look at the Rose Bowl, look at this and that, and, you know, there, uh, there's a lot of interest in this USC football team where it's going to be next year. And a lot of kind of optimism or a lot of feeling that, you know, this is real, that this is, you know, the last nine games were the real deal. So that's fun to watch. Yeah, people are certainly willing to believe that USC is back. Uh, you just have to give them a little hint, and they're willing to jump on the bandwagon or the hype train that everyone likes to call it. I think, Dan, we should come out with our, um, you know, a little bit too early, uh, top 25 for 2018. We should just jump ahead a year. <laughs> what do you think? I think. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, you think about it. I did a, a column today just looking at the schedule for next year and, and how, I mean, we don't even know, as I said, we don't even know when the spring game is <laughs> and we don't know when. Eight of the Pac-12 games are. Uh, we think we're pretty That's sure that they got to play Stanford in week two. Uh, but, uh, you know, and I was kidding. I think, yeah, we know probably they'll play at Colorado on a night game late in the year when it's down in the 20s. They'll probably play in Arizona early when it's in the mid-90s. You know, there's some things you can depend on with the Pac-12 schedule. Uh, but, uh, uh you know, you're really going, as I said, you're, you're painting with broad strokes when you're trying to outline 
you know, what's going to happen. I mean, you know, we don't know who for sure is coming back and who for sure is leaving. Uh, there's still, you know, maybe a couple of guys there that, that we really don't know. We don't know how the rehabs are going to go. Uh, you're looking at a team like Stanford. They lose their quarterback in the Sun Bowl. Keller Chris, we don't know if he's, he's going to be ready to go or not. Uh, they're down to one. If he's not ready, they're down to one scholarship player, the, the Casella kid from uh, 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 Santa Margarita. Is their only scholarship. You know, USC people get crazy. And Stanford could be down to one scholarship quarterback. Uh, so who knows how some of this is going to play out? You know, you know, Alabama's going to have a ton of talent. Um, uh, you know, let's see. Uh, you know, Penn State's going to be pretty good. I think we can, you know, I'll testify to that. Uh, but, uh, you know, you're, you're taking some guesses when you're, you're looking at, at how next year is going to play out. You know, a, a year from now, almost 12 months, will USC be back in the Rose Bowl? If they are, that's really good news because that's the <laughs> first round of the playoff is hosted by the Rose Bowl. So, uh, you got to hope that they return to the Rose Bowl. And, uh, you know, a lot of things to look, look forward to. The schedule looks like, you know, it's, it's manageable. It's not, you know, you're not opening with Alabama and, uh, after that, and it looks like the first three games are going to be in the Coliseum. Now, whether there's going to be a parking at the Coliseum, <laughs> I guess is the question. But at least the games will be there. Yeah, that's another with the Lucas Museum. Dan and I were talking off air, the Lucas Museum going up there, taking up a lot of parking. So it's going to be a little tight around the Coliseum. It already is. And who knows what the NFL tenants and all that kind of stuff. So some crazy stuff going on there. Um I wanted to, before we jump into the USC questions, Dan, there, uh, you know, people were talking about USC during the national championship game, of course. Um, mostly, I mean, USC had that great showing in the Rose Bowl. Uh, and then, you know, preseason, I mean, not, I mean, postseason number three on the AP poll. Like you said, the, the early polls out there, USC ranked really high. Um, but the, the whole Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin aspect too was a tie to USC and having, Lane Kiffin apparently being forced out six days before the national championship game down in Boca Raton, Florida, watching this one with beta breath. And, uh, you know, you, you, you know that he's got a close guys on the team that he was rooting for, but there has to be a part of Lane Kiffin that was rooting for Steve Sarkeesian and, and Nick Saban to fail. Not because he doesn't like Steve Sarkeesian, but because he was forced out of there and didn't really get a chance to shine in the very last game. You put in all that work through the whole off season and the whole season and everything. And then to be kicked to the curb six days before the ultimate grand prize is, uh, it's gotta be hard, you know, heartbreaking for Kiffin. Um, but I want to get your thoughts on all that and how that went well, down. At least, you know, in some ways it's typical Lane though. He can say, Hey, not my fault. You know, I'm out of here. I'm, I don't know. I wanted to say, uh, you know, I did get kicked to the curb too bad. They didn't win. My offense still scored 31 points. Hey, you know, but, uh, again, when we've gone through all we've gone through over the years, we keep saying, stay tuned. There'll be more news tomorrow. It's USC. You just, and I'm thinking, who else? He is there two ex coaches who got fired in the middle of the last three seasons coaching in the semifinals and the championship game for the defending national champions. 
and that there's the whole back and forth between the two of them, uh, only USC. And then as it turned out, the way the Rose Bowl went with that kind of a great game, and people were saying, wow, that's the greatest Rose Bowl since USC played Texas in 2006. Then they get to the championship game Monday, and they say, wow, that's the greatest championship game since USC played Texas in 2006. So there's a way that you almost connect USC with all the stories that are going. And, of course, the, the other thing they're doing besides the way to early top 25 is the Heisman, uh, you know, projected Heisman candidates. And at the top of the list, even though there's a returning Heisman candidate at Louisville, Lamar Jackson, they're still probably almost elevating Sam Darnold to the top of the list. And so there is a way that USC just seems to be able to insinuate its way into almost anything that, that's coming along in, in college football. It's, it's kind of interesting to watch how that just seems to never go away. It does not. And I think USC fans are hoping it does go a little bit more with Clay Hilton at the helm. Um, well, let's jump into some of these questions, Dan. John's up first. Uh, and I'll answer the first one. He has two questions. He said, when was the last time a three loss team was ranked, uh, as high as third in the final AP poll? And that was the first time it's ever happened. Um, yep. so yeah, so that's, uh, John's never happened before. So pretty crazy. And then number two, uh, Dan, he wants to know, is there any way the NCAA can regulate boosters from giving large quote unquote donations to private seven on seven teams, coaches and coveted recruits? This seems like a huge loophole for recruit recruiting abuses. Uh, that's from John. Yeah, I think, you know, and it's been going on, you know, there were ways in which, for example, uh, shoe companies and basketball, you know, would, would donate money or they would pay for, you know, guys to, you know, to coach teams or programs or, you know, they would help, you know, uh, from a, you know, one particular shoe company, uh, high school program to go to a, uh, that same shoe company's college program. Uh, so the NCAA has been really hesitant to go into those areas because there are a lot of pitfalls when you're trying to, you know, regulate those kinds of things and, you know, stuff that even gets into probably, you know, uh, antitrust you know, issues and competitive issues and all that kind of thing. But uh, you'd like them to be watching because uh, you can, there's obviously ways you can use that to recruit. And it's not, it's not, you know, schools shouldn't allow that to happen. And it, it ought to be called to their attention. And they really ought to say, you know, don't, you know, cut it out. And, and maybe you just publicly let people know this is what happened. This is what's going on. And, uh, you know, maybe there's some element of shame or whatever, but, uh, but it's kind of a hard thing to do. I mean, I know, what was it? Uh, and there are all kinds of ways you can do it. I know, um, there was a particular team in a bowl game and they were practicing at the high school where they were also recruiting, uh, their best player. And, in order to practice for the bowl game, they said, well, you know what? They need a new field. So let's give them a new field in the few, you know, a couple of weeks before we get to town. And, uh, they put in a new field for high school and in Orlando, as I believe. 
And, uh, you know, was that pushing the envelope? Probably, you know, I think they got the kid. But um, there are ways in which, you know, they can kind of get around things. And I just think letting people know what's going on is the best, is the best answer there. Because he at the time, I, mean, I just, there are a lot of people whose immediate reaction is the NCAA has got to make a rule. And my feeling much of the time is they don't know what they're doing. They just keep adding to the rule book. They don't enforce it fairly anyway. And it's just more trouble than it's worth. So I'm not one of those ones who thinks, you know, NCA regulation uh, and so many, just adding more to the NCA regulations, I just, I don't have any confidence in that. All right. Uh, thanks for that one. Let's see. Let's go to uh, Tarek. He wants to know, uh, what do you see as the most, or who do you see as the most likely candidate to replace uh, Damian Mama, who is obviously uh, foregoing his senior season to uh, make himself eligible for the NFL draft? Well, I think with, you know, Chris Brown actually beat Damian out for that position uh, in the, you know, at the end of August. So, uh, so I, I think, you know, Chris Brown is, you know, he's 6'5 and about 305. So you're not giving up a ton of size anymore there. Um, uh, and so, and I just think of Chris as more of a guard. I know, you know, people talked about him. They were going to, you know, back him up as a center if they had to, which is a good thing that, uh, that they think he's got that much versatility. I don't see him as a tackle. I see him as a guard. So I would think, you know, he, definitely steps into that spot um so that's on the offensive line jamal has a question on the defensive line he's uh jamal's out of san diego he said thanks for keeping us sane throughout this postseason uh throughout the postseason how did jacob daniel look in bowl prep and i would think he would he may be a big part of the defensive line plans going into next year given the loss of stevie tuikolavatu in the interior has he shown any flashes of development, and that's from Jamal. Yeah, Jamal, he has. Uh, he, you know, one of those really big kids, and, and didn't get as much experience in high school as you would have hoped for because of some injuries and that. But uh, uh, and he gets one. He's one of those kids where the just the light bulb has to go off, and he just has to say, "Okay, this is what what I, you know, have to do." I know, and it reminds me of what uh, uh, on the offensive line. Uh, a similar kind of a kid, Roy Hemsley, said, finally, you know, this is a couple of years now, and he said, the biggest adjustment for me, the thing I had to realize is the physicality of college football. And that's something that, you know, for for guys that are as big as those guys are, uh, coming out of high school, nobody could challenge them. They didn't ever see anybody, you know, big enough to, to do my, and so they didn't maybe have to play always with an absolute, you know, physicality and drive and push and all of that that, um, uh, that's required at this level. Hopefully watching somebody like Stevie T, uh, T and what he did and how hard he had to work and a guy with all his, uh, talent and skill, how he had to work, you know, from, from the summer, through the season and how hard he had to push himself and how much he got better. And, you know, you would hope that, that that kind of lesson, uh, 
you know, it's transmitted through the rest of the defensive line group. And there's a number of guys you're going to look at. And I, I don't think they're going to replace Stevie with any one guy. But, uh, you know, I think Kenny Bigelow now looks much more like a nose tackle. He's not that slim down guy who was trying to play outside. He's, uh, he's big and, and thick and, um, you know, a, a great team leader. And now if he can, you know, really get himself, uh, you know, to a place. And I always thought that uh, one of the biggest difficulties for Kenny playing to the outside was he wasn't somebody that seemed to get disengaged really well uh, and, and, and slip off blockers and get through, do what you want him to do. But at nose tackle, if he, you know, comes back as a nose, I think he's got much more ability to really jam things up and take people on and, and, and kind of, uh, you know, give you some of that, you know, feel that you had with Stevie T. Uh, uh, and I think, you know, I think Christian Rector and, and Josh, uh, uh, you know, I just think they have got a lot of ways they can go, but I think they're going to kind of do it in platoon, uh, not necessarily. They're not going to find somebody like Stevie. I mean, he just almost doesn't exist. I, I thought that one of the interesting things in the bowl prep was talking to the kids from the, from the Penn State offensive linemen, and they couldn't even come up with somebody who resembled uh, Stevie, who they played against. You know, and they played, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, all those good teams. They couldn't, couldn't think of one that looked like or played like Stevie. And then as he proved in the, in the you know, the Rose Bowl, uh, they didn't have any real answer for him. But, you know, yes, he may get one of those guys every once in a while. He just don't exist that much. I mean, they really, he was, you know, probably the, the best thing that happened to this team, uh, other than Sam Darnold, uh, for this year. Uh, no question about it. We have, uh, Eric wrote in, Dan. Um, he said, thanks for the great content all season and especially leading up to the Rose Bowl game. Question is, following games, are referee crews evaluated and given feedback or penalized for poorly called games? Obviously, we got the two late pass interference calls. But those were appropriate calls, I felt, uh, like the rest of the game was completely out of balance. Thanks again for your commentary fight on, Eric, uh, in Sun Devil Country. Eric, that's a good question. Uh, for sure, the Pac-12 officials get evaluated by the, uh, David Coleman, the Pac-12, uh, you know, officiating supervisor, who I really like and trust and think is a, you know, consummate professional after games. How the bowl games work, that's a good question. What I would like to see is to have both commissioners or both uh, supervisors, uh, that was a uh, an ACC crew, I would like to have both David Coleman evaluate them from the Pac-12 point of view and maybe have the Big Ten also evaluate them from the Big Ten point of view for Penn State and their own supervisor uh, at the ACC evaluate them and put them all together and, and ask them, what the heck's going on? Same way with the championship game, that they were allowing those uh, those just lethal targeting hits uh, to go unpunished. And, I mean, after you saw what happened with Cam Smith, which was at best a 50-50 call, certainly not an ejectable call, you know, that, that it wasn't a lethal hit. He didn't exactly, 
launch uh, in the ways that where you can really do damage. There was contact with the shoulder pad as well as with the helmet, and it was more of a glancing blow. So, I mean, when you get ejected for that, and you're not going to be able to play the first half of the first game next year, and yet those Alabama hits just went completely uncalled. And they were, you know, they weren't like on plays away from the ball or that what nobody was watching. Everybody was watching. And to be honest, it looked like a head, it looked like a little like headheading. I mean, when the two players who got just crushed were Clemson's two best offensive players, the All-American wide receiver, the All-American quarterback, you got to think, hmm, what's going on here? And that's got to get better. That was the Big 12 crew. But uh, it's a good idea. I'll try to find out if uh, what exactly they do in terms of, of evaluating the officials in championship game. I'll say this. Standing down at the corner of the field, and I know you try to read body language, you try to read facial expressions, watching that ACC crew run by, you had to think that they were thinking, because they all had this kind of same look on their, on their faces, was, wow. What a great game we were just part of. Too bad we had a rotten game. You know, I mean, that's the sense you got that they, they weren't thrilled with how they, how they called that game or didn't call it. It, it was not a good effort. And I think they knew it. Yeah. Hard to disagree with that. Um, couple questions on the juniors, uh, going, leaving for the NFL early. We kind of talked about Damien already. Uh, Big Nick in Cyprus says, who do you think should stay and go in the draft? Right now we have Juju and Mama gone as of this email. In my opinion, Juju should go and Mama could stay. So what are your thoughts on those guys? And then you can add in a Dory too. You know, I don't know that we can have that kind of a, that thinking, uh, because, you know, going and staying is more than just, uh, are you ready to play in the NFL? Uh, I mean, it's all about your family. It's about you and school and, and, you know, what are you thinking about a degree? Um, what are your, you know, family's financial, you know, needs? Uh, you know, what do you think about your own personal health history situations and all of that? Uh, so, you know, I could make a case that, oh, Damien would be better if he came back. I can make a case that he maybe wouldn't be, that he'd be in the same place he is now. I mean, he, you know, he had a really good Rose Bowl. And uh, I thought he showed me, okay, you play like that, you got a chance to make an impact. Uh, I need Juju because of health, because of injuries, uh, because of the way he plays the game all out. Even though he's almost a year younger, uh, I think it's fine for him to go. I, I, I can't even begin to make a case. And I don't know that it's wrong with all the talent at that position at USC for kids to, you know, for it to be up and out, you know, that uh, for a kid like Juju to, to leave and and open it up for um, some really, you know, good young talent at USC. So can't make a, make a case against Juju. Uh, he, uh, he's doing the right thing. I don't think there's any question about it. And then, uh, as far as the Dory, I think the only case that you could make for Dory to come back is if he decides, you know, I really want to get my degree. I really want to be part of a USC team that wins a national championship. I really want to get more offensive snaps 
because I, re- I want to know, I mean, I think I've shown on film enough of what I can do, but I'd like to see what I could do if I really played a lot of offense every game. Maybe I'll win the Heisman, uh, but what I'll do is I'll, in combination with Sam Darnold, I'll probably make this USC uh, a playoff team. Maybe we'll win a national championship. If I'm part of a, a USC national championship team and if I move to offense and really figure out who I am and what I'm going to do at the next level, you might be able to make a case that in, in financial ways and in other ways, if you're like, you know, uh, Adoree wants to, looks like maybe set up a foundation and, and do a lot of good things for a lot of people, uh, maybe coming back and playing next year at USC is the way to go, uh, you know, for the long term. Uh, so I guess you could make that case, but to say that's something he should do, I don't think, I just don't think we can be any part of that, whether they should or shouldn't uh, stay or make the decision to stay or go. I, I just think we can't possibly be a part of that decision. Uh, I mean, we can stay. I don't know if you're ready, but I don't know that we can make the part, you know, about whether you should or shouldn't do it. And there are a lot of guys that have done it that we probably wish they wouldn't have and would have told them, I'm not sure if you're ready, but I don't think we can be part of the decision. Um, Along the same lines, Dan, Bear Secuta wrote in. He said, Dan, can you recall when USC or any other school had such attrition from its roster of impact players in a single year um, and is there any school that constantly has so many players leave early for the draft? Um, Ohio State does. A lot of schools have a lot of people leave early. Oh, yeah. No. Um, but he said, okay, assuming Adori and, and Juju leave, on offense, we lose three starters on the offensive line. Rodgers, our starting wideout and split end, starting running back, quarterback, and tight end who started the season, Simmons and the snapper. On defense, we lose our best defensive lineman, best little linebacker, strong safe, uh, starting safety, best cornerback, Best return man, plus Messina would have started next year. Ruffin and Hill uh, would be two on the depth chart. Uh, and you lose players like Hampton, Powell, two backups who arguably uh, won one game apiece for us, and probably Tucker. So that's from uh, Bear Scooter. Uh, so let me see. That would be a the glass is half empty post. I'm Very much, question. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm more of a glasses half full guy, uh, to be honest. And I can make a case that the wide receiver, you can point out these wide receivers are gone. I can make a case that they'll be better at wide receiver next year. You know, whether you agree with that or not, I'm sure there would be people who, who would have said, you know, oh my gosh, Deontay Burnett's a starter now. That skinny little sophomore. I don't know. We lost, you know, Stephen Mitchell. What are we going to do without, you know, the upperclassmen? Well, you know, stuff happens. Guys make plays. Guys move up. Guys get a chance. I mean, I, I think I could make a case that maybe the next offensive line will be more athletic, more aggressive, quicker off the ball. Maybe they'll able to beat people at the line of scrimmage uh, in ways that, despite its size, you know, this was not an offensive line that you could depend if you needed two yards for a first down or a touchdown. You couldn't always be sure they were going to get them for you because they might get beat on the snap. Uh, 
So, I mean, there are ways you can make, you know, uh, that you could have an advantage if, uh, if three or four guys step up and say, you know, I'm going to be Stevie. And you get all of them and you get a rotation going. Maybe you can be almost as effective as Stevie was. Um, I just think there are ways in which if you've got a good program and you're not losing a lot of guys every year, something's probably wrong. I mean, if you expect to have the kind of program at Ohio State and Alabama and, um, you know, let's see, who else? Penn State hasn't been there. So although they lost, you know, they lost guys, uh, Washington lost, I think Washington lost as much or more as in USC. They're losing guys that I don't know that they expected to lose. So I think it's the way of the world. And, uh, and the, the way you've got to look at it is, uh, what's it going to look like with these new guys? I, I would say this. I think USC has more guys in the pipeline who played really well in the practice field, who they did a very good job of combining these guys as scout team players and second team players. So that if you were on the second team offense, for example, all those wide receivers, a lot of those wide receivers were, you were playing against the first defense every day. That's a really good thing. I think, I think they've got more guys, uh, ready to step up than we've seen in a long, long time. So, uh, I'm, I'm fairly optimistic, uh, that, that they've got the, uh, you know, what, what it takes to, to, you know, uh, you know, replace those guys. Uh, it's not like they're gone and they'll never be replaced. No one will ever, you know, come to take their place. Uh, I don't think that's the case. I think they'll be, I think they're, I think USC will be able to replace them. Uh, not that we, you know, don't really respect everything that every one of those guys did. They're seniors <laughs> and, and the juniors to some extent. Went through an awful lot, uh, but one of the things that I was really impressed with uh, after the Rose Bowl was how the veteran guys who were leaving were saying that this was their gift to the younger guys to show them this is how you do it, this is how you get there, this is how hard you have to do it, and how hard you have to play. And I think that message came through. I think these young guys are are really excited about you know their opportunities, and there are guys. Like, oh, Jamel Cook, Pa Young, guys like that, that you haven't really gotten to see, but, um, they bring some really interesting skill sets and, and physicality and, and, and all the young wide receivers the same way. Uh, places, you win with bigs. Now, the bigs are the ones that gotta step up. They're, that's the place that you gotta see guys stepping up. And a guy like Rojo, he's gotta step up. And be an every down back where he, he's a consistent pass blocker and he catches the ball. Stuff like that has to happen, uh, because Justin Davis did that so well. But, uh, but I'm, I'm pretty much, much more of a, a glass half full guy. And yeah, USC's in there with LSU and, and Alabama and Ohio State. And those guys who, you know, bring in a lot of talent and then they lose it. Um, Kevin, kind of along those lines, Dan, Kevin wants to know, uh, perhaps you could answer, uh, talk about your projections for the offensive line next year. Replacing two legit tackles isn't going to be easy. Who are your candidates to, uh, for these roles? And what would the strength of the line be with those replacements? Thanks for everything you guys, uh, get me through the week. Kevin. Well, I think Chuma at right tackle. 
And uh, I think I'm I'm more of a Toa. Lovidon might not be there for the spring, but uh, as a left tackle, digger now. Uh, you, people will be surprised when they see uh, what Toa Lovidon looks like. Uh, uh, the new Toa Lovidon. He's not quite the you know as uh, as small, maybe undersized for his position as he he was when he played before. And I'm gonna be optimistic that his knee's gonna be fine. So that gives you two. You know, former starters there. I think uh, you got to make you know Chris Brown the the leader to replace Damian. You know, I'm going to be optimistic and say Nico and and Vianney are both both back. So that basically gives you you know a five man group with all starters. So you know all people who've started uh, college football games for USC with experience. Um, for the young guys, they got a lot of guys with big frames, big you know, guys that look like they could play. And this is their chance. They're going to have a spring where, you know, all of those guys are going to get a chance to, you know, to comp- compete for their job, I guess, except uh, Nathan Smith, I guess, is with his surgery. But uh, uh, there'll be a number of other guys that are going to get a chance. Who knows? Maybe uh, maybe Khalil, I don't want to start a rumor, but maybe Khalil Rogers is staying all spring. Maybe he'll change his mind. Uh I guess you'd, you'd almost have to be certain you're going to be able to start, but uh, um, and he's still going to be here. So uh, who knows? I mean, there's so many things we just don't know that uh, uh, I, I don't know that we can be. I mean, we didn't know the last week of, the, of August who was going to start in the Alabama game until we found out that, yeah, Chris Brown's starting and not, not Damian. Uh, so I uh, think it'll be, uh, you know, They've got a chance to to put a, a team on the field that's pretty athletic, more so maybe than this year's team, uh, and and very experienced. As much as you know, we we worry about they're not not experienced. Oh, every one of those guys will have been a starter, so and played a decent amount of football. So I think uh, athletically that they're a little quicker feet, a little more precise, a little more ability to attack. Uh, see how, you know, see how that works. If that, you know, just the quickness off the ball ought to be, ought to be better. And I kind of like that. Let's, uh, let's go to Jim. He said, awesome podcast. Keep it going. Thank you, Jim. Uh, what's happened to Tyler Petit? I thought he was supposed to be mainly a receiving tight end in the last seven games. He's caught a grand total of one pass for three yards. Has he been playing hurt? Uh, that's from Jim. You know, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I think there was maybe, you know, he wasn't 100%. I, I The thing that surprises me, I thought he had the softest hands on the team as a freshman. Uh, and he, he has dropped some balls that, that I think surprised all of us, including, I think, Tyler. Uh, so I think that's uh, something he's got to, you know, get himself back in the in the mix with, and, and he's going to get pushed because Kerry uh, Anzaline, you know, doesn't drop the ball. And, you know, he's another probably, you know, they they list them both at 6'6". Six, six. Tyler always looked to me more like 6'5 and a half, and Kerry looks like he's at least an inch taller than that. And he's, he's got, you know, a lot of that basketball, you know, ability. And he's all fired up after, you know, being the Pennsylvania kid that got the win over, uh, over Penn State in the Rose Bowl. So, uh, but I think, uh, 
I think you'll have a three three headed uh headed group there, but yeah, I think uh I think the way the season ended for him will give Tyler uh uh the kind of motivation to say I really gotta because, you know, Taylor McNamara is leaving. So technically you have a starting spot available, although I never even considered the tight ends to have that kind of a pecking order that you always considered all three of them for that spot. But, uh, but, uh, yeah, I think you're right. The, Tyler's got a, you know, cause his big, big asset was his pass catching and, uh, you got to figure out ways to, uh, to show that he can do that because I think that's one place where the offense can improve more and more is to make the tight end. Uh, I mean, they used them, they were valuable and they made big catches. They didn't make a lot of them. I think, uh, the thing that you want to see for this, this offense moving forward is for them to start making more and more catches because it really makes it difficult for the defense if they, have to account for the tight end on every play, and they might. We have a uh, voicemail question for you, Dan. Here, let me play it for you. Here you go. J.D. from D.C. with a question for Dan Weber. Dan, uh, you often speak about the advantage programs like Alabama, et cetera, have with the large number of ancillary coaching staff, recruiting staff positions they have. Uh, could you explain what are the NCAA rules and limitations on staffing. Uh, I assume there would be numbers limitations because Pete Carroll got dinged on that some time ago, but Saban seems to have like two to three times the staff USC does. And uh, are there budgetary limitations? What are the limitations and what's holding USC back from uh, competing? Or for that matter, you know, a school like UCLA or Stanford, et cetera. Well, I, JD, that's a good question. Uh, money for one thing. Obviously, Alabama spends 43 million on football. Clemson and Ohio State are at 29 million. So they're spending 14 million more. So if they want somebody, they get them. I mean, I, I would guarantee you, if Lane walked into, um, you know, uh, Saban's office and said, you know, we can get, um, Steve, uh, wants to get back in it and, you know, we can pay him what we pay our, you know, analysts, give him 50,000 for the season. He'll come right down here. I don't think USC could do that. I don't think, you know, and I don't think when USC goes out and hires, uh, their full staff for, you know, strength and, and, uh, conditioning staff, they're not going out and hiring football coaches first. I think Alabama might, there might be some ability to have those guys, you know, be, uh, be football coaches and, and I, and I know, you know, there are places, if you look at like the media guy that, at places like Ohio State and that, and you see these guys who were head coaches or head coaches, you know, at, in the, in the NFL, you see guys and they're on the staff and you think, huh, what's, what's that job? Huh, I wonder what that's, uh, I don't know that they're, the limitation is your budget. They're not allowed to coach on the field in practice. They're not allowed to talk to the players. And during games, they've got to be up in the booth. But they can put the game plans together. They can coach the coaches. They can coach with the coaches. And as Steve Sarkeesian showed, they can be ready at a moment's notice to come in. I don't think there's another team in the country that could have 
lost their offensive coordinator a week before the championship game and moved somebody else in who was up to speed as the offensive coordinator. Uh, so, and, and the same kind of thing happened on, uh, in the recruiting staff. Uh, you're limited to whatever, I think it's 10 slots of guys who can go, who can go off campus and recruit. And I think those can be passed around. So, I mean, we understood that by the end of the year, Steve, uh, Steve Sarkeesian was using, uh, Nick Saban's slot. Uh, it's just kind of what we're hearing as Nick does not go off campus during the year, uh, during the season. And so, uh, you can have analysts doing different things if you fit them into the NCAA rules. And the NCAA doesn't list how many people you can have doing things. I mean, there, there was a feature last year on Clemson and it showed like the, on letter, I guess it was letter on Tentai. I think it was like a dozen people, uh, in their social media department for recruiting. And they had sent out like millions of, you know, pieces of email and regular mail and they had graphics people and all that kind of thing. And that's basically ruled by, you know, how much do you have in your budget? Uh, they can't go off campus and recruit. You better not do that. You will get, that'll, you'll get whacked for that one. But, uh, they can make a lot of contacts, do a lot of phone calls, set up a lot of appointments. They can handle the kids when they get on campus. Uh, you know, and do all the things you've got to do. And they're, I mean, I, who was it the other day mentioned how much Gavin Morris at USC was a real factor. I think it was Bubba Bolden, right? Right. Um, it was a real factor in his recruiting. So I think that's where USC needs, uh, yeah, on that ancillary staff, not limited by the NCAA, uh, where Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Michigan are doing, you know, such a great job. I mean, they're just, you know, they're past everybody else. And USC, because of its advantages and its history and so much that it's got going for it, May not have to equal those, uh, you know, programs, but I think they got to get in the ball game. And this is the time, I think, for Clay, uh, right now to push hard on beefing those things up as, as much as possible. Uh, he's got the clout, I think, after this season. And, uh, you know, everybody's expecting him. I mean, Lynn does not hesitate to say, you know, this was good, nice start, but we want to win a Pac-12 and we want to be in the hunt for the national championship. I think that's where Clay says, well, then we're going to have to do uh, much more of what, you know, the, the programs that are there every year. I mean, it's not, it's not, you know, uh, it's not a surprise that Ohio, you know, that uh, of the four teams in the, in the college football playoffs this year, Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson, three of those, have these remarkable recruiting operations. I mean, they're not there because, you know, it's an accident. They're there for a reason. And uh, USC probably needs to get more in that same ballpark. Um, I want to talk about the expectations a little bit. Percy wrote in, Dan. He said, on the next podcast, could you and the guys address whether Coach Helton has the attributes to take USC to the title, like Dabo Sweeney did, uh, he started as an interim at Clemson, too. He said, thanks and great recruiting podcast, uh, Percy. 
And I think this is the the larger topic, which is you've you wrote about this in the last couple of columns, the the high expectations now that are on USC. Yeah, and uh, Percy, that's the question. I mean, we've had you know some pretty good examples of people who come in and coach other people's you know recruits and done pretty well, but when they run out of them, like uh, Mark Alfreds at Oregon, and if they've got a staff that's you know been there, I mean, Oregon always took great pride in the fact that all their coaches had been there 25 years, and you get. Set in your ways, and maybe your, you know, Chip Kelly is not there anymore, and all the other stuff that was going on at Oregon, they're not allowed to do, maybe or whatever. Uh, and you run out of players, and you end up where Oregon was this year, and you know, you go from being the coach of the team that went to the championship game to being, you know, out of a job. And I think that's the, that's the real. You know, the thing that Clay has to deal with at this point in time is how does he ratchet it up and, 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 and take what happened this year and go to that next level? Uh, I mean, look at, we can only guess what Tom Herman is doing at Texas. I mean, he's going to push for everything. He had a bigger recruiting operation at Houston than USC had. Uh, what's he going to do when he gets to Texas? I mean, he's been telling us. You know, do everything he possibly can, everything that, you know, that you can legally do. And they're not going to look and say, well, gee, how much does that cost? Um, and I think that's where, you know, it's obvious, uh, uh, you know, Clay, I mean, that, that, uh, Nick Saban has a drive. I mean, that, that, He's going to do whatever. I mean, he's going to cut Lane Kiffin loose if he thinks Steve Sarkeesian gives him a slightly better edge. Uh, Urban Meyer, you know, they get shut out in the, you know, the semifinal game. And I think he's got two new offensive coaches already. New coordinator, new quarterbacks coach, at least. I mean, he didn't waste, he didn't, you know, mess around. Um, you know, that's, that's the way it works. I mean, you, you have to have that kind of just burning drive to, to be the best. I mean, Pete Carroll had it, you know, that whole competitive thing. And, uh, I think that, that's what we, we need to say, see from Clay at this point. I mean, he did a marvelous job rallying the troops and, and staying, uh, without panicking and, and believing in what they were doing and getting the players and the players believing in him and him believing in his players and figuring out practice and figuring out everything that they had to do and doing it. And that's wonderful. That's unbelievable. But you still have to do it with the best players. And if you don't have them, it almost doesn't matter. So USC, one of the things that, you know, USC talks about is they've got the, you know, the most players in the pro football hall of fame, the most first round draft picks, the most NFL draft picks of all time, all of those kinds of things. Uh, tell you that very much of what USC has built its football tradition on is great players. They got great players to come to USC. And I think that's the, that's the challenge for Clay at this point in time is to figure out how can he, with this coaching staff and all the other things that you're allowed to do, how can he put out, you know, put together the best possible, uh, you know, recruiting effort? And it's, uh, you know, I think they made the right decision. 
to figure it out on the field and get through this year and let that stand for, hey, guys, you know, then in the, the next month to say, look, this is who we are. Come be part of us. And maybe you haven't, you know, babysat those guys and, you know, held their hands and all that and made all the phone calls. But now you better. You better figure out how to get it done, you know, quickly and then put in place something that will carry through year after year. And uh, that's a big challenge. And we'll see. That, that's the... Uh, it's right there for Clay. It is. And uh, thanks, Frank in Sacramento. He had the, basically the same question. So hopefully Dan uh, addressed that thoroughly for you. Uh, we got two more, and we'll let you go, Dan. Steven Corona, he said, long-time listener, first-time participating. Love the show. Well, thanks for participating, Steve. Um, you guys have a lot of great information and help people like me understand the college game and how a top football program works behind the scenes. So he has two questions. He said, did Max Brown know that Pittsburgh's offensive coordinator would be going to LSU before he committed? What are your thoughts on that, Dan? That's a good question. I don't know. I don't. I know we didn't know. I know everybody was like, "Wow, uh, that's interesting." Uh, and that's how difficult. I mean, we were talking about at the time how difficult it was for Max because he had so little time to make his decision, and not knowing for sure whether he knew, you know, how that, I mean, I think in Max's case, I think the head coach at Pittsburgh was very involved in, um, in Max, uh, you know, being there. I think he made the difference, but he's a defensive guy. Uh, so, and, you know, you don't, I mean, and, and you almost knew for sure, even if you didn't know it was going to happen by the time it all happened, you knew, you're going there and you really don't know who's going to be coming in to replace, replace that guy. Uh, so you would think they would hire someone if they, you know, kind of, cause they did a really good job last year. They had a quarter, quarterback at Pittsburgh who was a graduate student transfer from Tennessee who nobody ever heard of while he was at Tennessee. I mean, at all. He barely played and he ended up going to the senior bowl this year he had such a good year at pittsburgh so you think well okay that's a good place for me to go and then the offensive coordinator leaves so uh you know it's not easy in these situations because you you had if you were max you had one shot to get it right and let's just hope he gets it right but yeah it's a good question and we don't know for sure and then uh the second one was uh, about the support staff did you know anything about who Clay Helton will try to bring on the sports staff. And we, you know, we really haven't heard very much. I don't know if you've heard any more, Dan, but it's, we know it's important. Well, I mean, I think and more than the sports staff, we keep, everybody says that the NCAA is going to allow them another, allow college football teams another full time, um, assistant coach. And if I were USC, you load up the Brinks truck and you find the exactly right guy who could take over the recruiting operation and still be a, a coach on the field. And there aren't that many of those guys. I mean, obviously, T. Martin can do that, but he's, uh, you know, he's going to he's the offensive coordinator. And I don't, I just think he can't be every place at once. But I think USC needs to get that home run hire uh, who will be your, you know, recruiting face out there 
uh, you know, obviously T's never not going to be that, you know, that kind of face, but you need somebody who can really put in the, the time in the travel and all of that. And I, I would, I would, I would find whoever I thought was the best guy in the country to do that. And I would pay him accordingly. If you have to hire him, hire him away from somebody, that's you do. That's what you do. And that's what I do. I'd start there. And so that was Steve and Corona. He said, thanks for your time and willingness to share your wealth of information. Well, thanks, Steve. Hope you can uh, write in more often. That was nice of you. Um, yeah, and I would say, Steve, if he's in Corona, he can watch an awfully good coach, a high school coach uh, at Corona Centennial. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, you just, that program is so well done and so organized and, and, and such an impressive, you know, effort, to, you know, year in, year out. You may not have the same kind of selectivity, say, that, you know, modern day in Bosco and, uh, you know, those, you know, really good schools have, but that, that's such an impressive program. So I, I would pay attention to what Corona Centennial does. Uh, and, and that's one of the, you know, top 10 high school programs in the country without any, any question. And, and, and you know, somebody you're, you're always going to, you know, you know, pull for. One last one for you, Dan. Earl in West LA. He said, now that the appellate court has overturned the NCAA's attempt to uh, change judges and former USC assistant football coach Todd McNair's uh, defamation lawsuit, what happens next? Thanks for all you do and happy new year. Earl in West LA. Well, they start on uh, discovery and depositions and, and, and I think they're going to be able to request a lot more, uh, emails from a lot more people at the NCAA and they're going to be able to depose a lot more people. Uh, I think basically they only deposed one of the eight surviving members of the committee on infractions for USC. I would think those other seven are going to be having a sit down with the, uh, with McNair's lawyers over the next year. And, uh, and I think there'll be a lot of back and forth on what can they ask and who can they ask and how can they ask it. And there'll be a lot of probably wrestling over, uh, you know, the, uh, NCA's, uh, archives of what's where, you know, I, we understand that from now on or from, you know, recent years, they kind of told people, uh, don't write any more emails, you know, call somebody up and talk to them, but no more emails. But in this case, those emails should exist. And, um, I would think they're going to go for them and they're going to go for a lot of them. And now they really do know, you know, what to look for, which is one of the reasons it was really important. And, and one of the reasons that the uh, appellate court said, no, you can't judge, change judges now. Uh, we don't have time to get somebody else. It's been six years and, and four years since, uh, uh, Judge Schaller made his original ruling. And, um, so it's important that you have a judge on this case who's going to be hands-on. And when they have these disputes about, you know, what they're allowed to get and what they're allowed, to, you know, who they're allowed to talk to and all that, that you have a judge like Judge Schaller who knows the case, who understands the case, understands what's going on, and is going to be able to intercede uh, in some of these depositions probably. I've been told maybe that you'll need some kind of a court referee at some of these depositions who will say, no, you've got to answer that question. 
Uh, so that's what's going to happen. And that'll get started here fairly soon. And, uh, we'll be, we'll see. In the Penn State case, because it was state legislators who were suing the NCAA, uh, those, uh, depositions started coming out and people started seeing where the NCAA would say things or they'd get their emails and they'd say, where they were saying things like, well, we know we don't have any authority to do this to Penn State, but let's do it anyway. We can probably get away with it. Well, as soon as that became public, you know, the NCAA threw their hands up and said, okay, we give, we'll give you this back and we'll give you that back and all that. Will that play out in the USC case? I don't know. I don't know if it can because it's not a government entity but a private citizen. I don't know what all the rules are going to be in terms of, you know, they've had a gag order to this point, uh, what the rules will be as far as getting that information out. But uh, but stay tuned. As we say with USC uh, football at all times, uh, there's a lot of news uh, out there for USC. And, uh, again, stay tuned. Stay tuned is kind of the motto of USC football the last six yes, or seven years. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. Thanks for uh, coming on and sharing all your insights on the team. It's going to be uh, interesting. A couple of weeks heading in towards signing day and, of course, the off offseason. Uh, a lot of guys to replace. A lot of uh, ways to do it. So we'll be talking about all that stuff uh, leading up to spring football and all that. But thanks again for coming on. Thanks, John. It was fun. It, there is a lot. Yeah. We can go an hour and just talking. it really talking. matters. This this time, you can't say, oh, well. Uh, there's no oh, wells now. This is uh, everything that happens uh, actually really, really matters. The USC, uh, the most important thing I think that you lose when you go through what USC went through a little bit is you're not relevant. It's like you're on the outside looking in. You're on the outskirts. That's not the case anymore. You know, for a long time, USC, you felt like we're in the middle of the college football world, and then you weren't, and now you are again. And that's kind of a neat place to be. All right. Well, that's Dan Weber, USCFootball.com, beat writer and columnist. Thanks, Dan, and thank you for everyone else for writing on your questions or calling in and uh, listening to the Peristyle podcast. We really appreciate it. We're glad there's so much support out there, and we like to keep it going for all of you. So I hope you guys enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 